go get it. Hello, and welcome to our podcast, Digging Deep. I'm Roberta Walker. And I'm Michael Glassman. We are two landscape designers who have been in the field for over 25 years. Through this podcast, Digging Deep, we're going to bring to you our knowledge, our challenges, our foibles, our stories, our ideas, anything to help you create the most unique landscape for you and your family. And being uh, September 25th today, um, normally we'd be heading into fall, which we are heading into fall, but not like you in the Midwest and back East, who I believe your leaves are already starting to turn, but we want to talk about fall anyway. And fall color. And fall color. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I mean, fall and spring are my two favorite times of the year. How about you, Michael? I think fall is my favorite time of the year. I just, I, I like the fact that it's cooler. I like the fact that um, the colors are just so vivid and um, there's, there's just something so dramatic about fall. I know it's so beautiful. And um, speaking of cooler, it's not coming real quick. It's going to be a hundred degrees. Uh, I think on Monday or Tuesday. It's, yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it's it's our, getting ready for the Jewish holidays. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. Before it's always hot. Oh my goodness. You know, I, um, always at the end of September, I'm at my wits end. I've had it. I've had enough summer and I know some people love summer, but we have a lot of summer here. We do. And we have a lot of heat here. And with the global warming, we even have more heat. We have more heat. Yes. So, but we are heading into fall and, um, this year I'm going to wait a little while. What I normally do uh, as you probably know, at the nurseries and the grocery stores, the flowers that they're showing now are chrysanthemums. Yes, and they are pretty spectacular. They're gorgeous, and and they're you know the premier fall flower. So normally, I I plant up all kinds of pots and put them out front. However, by the time uh, you know October, late October comes around, they're dead. It's just so hot here. So I'm going to wait now. I'm going to wait until mid October to do that. I think that's a great idea. Yes, you'll put your chrysanthemums out this weekend. We'll have three days of 100 degree temperature and they'll be dead chrysanthemums. They'll be dead. Because like, you you know, as you know, anytime you put something in a pot, it's way more vulnerable to the changes in temperature than if they go in the ground where they're nicely insulated. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, so I'm going to wait on that. But speaking of fall color, now, something that I love to do, and I'm sure you you do the same, Michael, is um, the way I design, and I'm sure you also pay attention to this as well, Michael, is that the plantings, I group them so that in each time of the year, each season, there's something happening as far as color. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Do you do that as well? I do. Um, what I try to do is things that will be deciduous or lose their leaves. Um, I try to put them in front of things that are evergreen so that when they do lose their leaves, you're not just looking at bare sticks and nothing. So you've got a backdrop of green against a backdrop of something that's more open and, and, you know, that, that is just, you know, stems and, and branches. And I agree with you. I mean, uh, a single plant, you know, again, as we talked about, a single becomes a focal point. A grouping of them becomes kind of a grove, which is really nice. And especially if you've got fall color, having a big grove of trees that are turning color is just spectacular. 
It is spectacular. One of my favorite combinations, and I, I've just altered it a little bit. I picked it up from uh, Thomas Hobbes' book called Shocking Beauty, and it's all about color. But there's one, one scenario, and I use birch trees because birch trees, when they turn, they go yellow. And there's a Euonymus allata, the common name is burning bush, that goes bright red. Right, when, yeah. These two go off, and I'm telling you, you know, usually birch are planted in groups, and if you plant the Euonymus alata, which they also have a compact size, the color is, it's show-stopping, absolutely show-stopping. And I like, um, when you talk about, you know, and, and uh, they're very slow-growing, one of the other things that is really nice, and what you were saying about the birch are great, you can also do a multi-stand birch, like a river birch that's mm -hmm. spectacular. So instead of having a single stem, you've got multi-stems. But I love doing groupings of ginkgos. Oh, Ginkgo, yeah. Talk about low, slow growing. <laughs> yeah, they turn gold. And they literally are like um, fan-shaped fan leaves that turn gold in the fall. And when they drop, it's like um, golden petals. It's, it's amazing. In fact, in, in um, Sacramento, in parts of Sacramento, the old ginkgo trees... As you drive through them, it's like the streets are littered with gold coins. Well, you know, I years ago, um, I lived part-time in Santa Rosa. And in their old district where the Victorians are, the trees are lined with ginkgos. And so at a certain point, not only are they all yellow, but the ground underneath them is all yellow. I mean, it's spectacular. But It, it is. But but ginkgos are very slow-growing. So yeah. um, yes. it's going to take a while to get there but some of the common trees that turn beautiful colors i mean um especially here we have a lot of crepe myrtles i know they're um probably not hardy in the east but chinese pistache the sweet gum which is um you know what that is yes and the liquid amber but when you were saying the chinese pistache i will make a note the new variety keith davies is one of the few people complain the pistachio is a great tree and it's a really good shade tree. Again, slow growing. But the neat thing about it is um, the fall colors are oranges and reds into purple. But the new variety, Keith Davies, does not have the berries because the regular Chinese pistache tends to have berries that can be very messy. The Keith Davies is even more vivid color with no berries. So you put one of those in and I would recommend a lot of times you, you start with smaller specimens when it comes to a pistache. Get the biggest specimen you possibly can, and you will be blown away at the fall color. You will, yeah. You know, I think with the berries, it's a male-female thing because I have a, um, I have a beautiful um, Chinese pistache, and it's it's pretty mature now. It doesn't have berries, and I don't think it's a Keith. I know it's not a Keith Davies because Keith Davies were not that easy to get a hold of. Um, I, they're yes, they're now. Because they're so vivid and because they're guaranteed to not have the berries, they're starting to develop them a lot more. Okay. The, the classic tree that turns are the maples, right? Yes. Vermont, the, the, the maple trees are absolutely stunning. So here's what I would do. Instead of putting in a whole bank of one tree, if you have a grouping with a pistache and a, and a – um, like the Chinese pistache and also a maple and, and, and maybe something evergreen. Let's say you do a mound of, of those three, an evergreen that's more tall and columnar. And then below, you've got something that's non-deciduous, shrub-wise, like silver artemisia and an old gold juniper and a, you know, a 
burgundy Laura Petalum, that those colors are again show-stopping. And if you have ornamental grasses, they're going to turn their beigey color. And if you leave them for a while, you're you're looking at a portrait almost, a painting in your landscape. Of some really nice colors. Also, another tree that is really pretty that a lot of people forget about is the tupelo. They call it um, a sour gum, not a sweet gum, not a liquid amber, but a tupelo. Those, the Nissus sildetica. Those Nissus sildetica, yeah. You know what? Whenever I plant one or design one in, I think of Van Morrison. Remember Tupelo Honey? <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. And it's funny because you don't see a lot of them, but they're they're very drought tolerant. They're also a spectacular color. I mean, that's they, what it blows me away. But you don't see a lot of them planted. And you know what? They're fast growers and they have kind of a um, pyramidal shape. They're wide at the bottom and they, they go up... Um, narrow so they're wonderful trees to get going and, and like we we're talking about you could use a variety of trees obviously you're going to have to know how wide they get because often i see people planting trees too close together and that's not good you don't allow for each canopy so make sure you have enough room between trees do a little research you know find out how wide they get as well as tall and earlier roberta was saying and that's so true if you do different levels so for example um, the, the crepe myrtle stays a lot smaller than, say, a tupelo or a pistache or a maple, but also red buds. Some of the new red buds have great fall color, and they're actually a very small tree. And they classify, as you look them up, they classify as large shrub, small tree. And again, those are nice for a smaller environment where you don't have as much property. But again, they give you a really vivid array of color. They do. And not only that, in the spring, they whip off their uh, coat and show you the most beautiful crimson blossoms. I really, love that. Yeah. And you know, another tree that does that as well is the hawthorn tree. Oh, I love those. Hawthorns those are, are one that a lot of people don't plant. I, well, you know what? They're not so easy to find. I don't know why, but they might be, you know, it's like anything. They're going to bring in what's popular. So maybe every time I try, to, it's like Washington hawthorn. There's a cut few different kinds every time i try to hunt them down it's always you know it's always a problem i'm running around but they bloom white in the spring and in the fall they've got red berries that the birds love that are actually um an herb that's good for the heart and their leaves are yellow then the leaves drop and the tree is full of red berries i mean they're beautiful little trees however they have thorns right <laughs> Well, so does citrus, but still you should know, you know, because some people, they just don't want anything pokey in their yard. And that one has pokies. So. Right. And, but they're beautiful. And again, that's the, the Washington thorn or Crataegus phenopyra. Mm -hmm. I yeah. love that. And you're right. It's very hard to find those. It's like, um, it's not that they have great fall color. I'm just throwing this in, but another beautiful plant that, it, that is not as popular are Vitex. Um, oh, I love Vitex. I love them, but it, they're almost impossible to find anymore. You know what? More and more they're available. And that's another one um, that's probably a large shrub or a small tree. Um, the Vitex agnacasta. It has spear-like purple flowers. I think they're just finishing blooming now. But again, yeah. any part of that tree, the leaves or the blossoms can be used as a tea. Very good for women's health. So, you know... Every, there's so many plants in your landscape you're probably not aware of that have medicinal qualities as well. Not that we're doctors, not that we're prescribing anything, but it's, it's really lovely. Like, let's say, aloe vera. 
You know, if you get burned, aloe vera is very good for a burn. So these are landscape plants. Well, and it's interesting because when you find, um, if you do research and you go back and you find that a lot of the Native American cultures would use um, that, the medicine people, the medicine men, that's what they were using natural uh, medicinals from the plants. Um, and it's it's really fascinating, you know, the rosemary and the lavender and the thyme, and um, which we oh, use yeah. for herbs, were also very medicinal plants that they use for curing different diseases. There's St. John's wort, there's um, Achilla, which is yarrow. But, right. you know, it's not, not just the Indians, because um, in in Europe, the, the woman... The, the woman of the castle would have a, a garden and in the medicinal garden. And um, she was the one that healed if the people on the land were sick. So um, we, I know we've, we've kind of gone from fall color, but you can also not only have fall color, but you can have medicinal plants and you could research them. And it you know might open up a whole new avenue for you as far as the wonders of your landscape. So steering back to fall color for a yeah. minute. Another really neat plant, barberry. Barberries have um, the the only downside to them is that they they're deciduous. deciduous. But I got to tell you, some of the fall color, bright, bright, bright red um, to gold, um, and and then then spring, summer into fall, they actually keep their leaves up until the winter. But um, they'll keep the burgundy color. There's some that are kind of a lemon yellow. I mean, some of the barberries are just pretty amazing. There's one called Admiration that is just to die for. Uh-huh. maroon with a little uh, lime green um, uh, uh, border around it. Mm-hmm. And it stays uh, fairly dwarf compared to some of the other um, barberries. Yes. Um, yes. Barberry. Yeah. Um, Rose Glow is one of the big ones. And the, those leaves have pink and burgundy on them. They're just absolutely beautiful. But they have barbs, again. So if you're going to plant them, you're not going to plant them close to a walkway because right. um, it's kind of like a a little killer plant. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so the barberries are beautiful. They do lose their leaves, but just before they lose their leaves, you'll see that beautiful color. And um, if you do, Nand- you know, a mix. Really good one for the fall. Yeah. Nan- you know, Nandina, I'll tell you, Nandina is like having your most important herb or, or um, salt. That's how basic I think Nandinas are for the landscape is your most basic ingredient because Nandinas from the domesticas down to the smaller ones, the fire powers are evergreen. They don't need hedging. They turn fabulous colors in the fall and they're very well mannered. They're not going to break up concrete and you can get them from, you know, the domesticas from seven, eight feet high down to the Gulf streams that are three feet high. The Nanas are 20 inches. There's the Filigree leaf. I adore Nandinas. And like I said, I think it's an essential plant for the landscape. I agree. In fact, when we moved into this house, um, there were a few Nandina in the background that I didn't take out. I left and I have never seen. I mean, the regular domesticas have great color. I don't know if this is a different variety, but I will tell you, I have never seen in uh, going into winter the fall color that comes on these Nandinas. I I mean, it's like you plug them in. They are so electric, red and orange. I've never seen anything that vivid. And um, it was amazing because most of the landscape, you know, when we moved in here was god awful. But these, there were like three or four of them and I saved them. 
were the most amazing fall color into winter that I've ever seen. So you're right. The Nandinas are amazing. They're amazing. Yeah. There's a variety called Burgundy wine that does that, but there are also um, types of Nandinas called lemon lime that stay in the yellow. So if you're lucky enough to find them, I, um, I'm not quite sure how they do in the snow, but I know from the Midwest on here, they're, they're very hardy. I don't know. Do you know? Um, I think that they can, uh, I think if it gets snow, I don't think they do well in snow, but I do know in colder climates that, you know, as long as you don't get a very, like Wisconsin, I don't think could do that. But, you know, places like in Wisconsin, you would find, um, which does turn color, Rose of Sharon, the, the hibiscus syriacus does get some really good fall color and then they go dormant. And um, they, when my sister lived in Wisconsin, they grew like weeds. Oh well, um, there you go. But in the I, but I, I was just looking it up, and I don't think they take the the frost and the snow. But you know what does take the snow and the frost that absolutely has magnificent fall color are Japanese maples. Yes, 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 they do. the The Acer Japanese maples are amazing, and you're right. Um, they even have them in well Japan, where um, where it snows, and and uh, they're they're pretty spectacular. They're spectacular. Yeah. The other thing that I like that, again, people don't use a lot of is Oregon grape, the Mahonias. Um, I use them now and then. It depends because they all have different habits. Um, yeah. um, so there's one called Soft Caress. That's a newer one. Have you used that? It's beautiful. I haven't tried that. I've used the regular Mahoney Aquafolium, you know, the Oregon grape, the Lamar Folium, the big one. I'm not a big fan of it's sharp and it's, it's not sharp big. and it gets a little ratty looking. Yeah. But the regular Oregon grape, I mean, for like what you were saying with the Nandina, some of the back backbones. And again, it's hard to find them in some of the nurseries because they're not that popular. But I mean, talk about fun. They've got berries. They've got their evergreen. They got they have fall color, um, and their the new new growth comes out kind of bronzy color. I mean, they've got a lot of things going for them. They do. You know, another hardy ground cover type plant that also has a spectacular show in the winter and the spring are cotoneaster. I like those too. They're ground cover. You can get them from the tiny leaf to the large ones, and as ground cover. Each plant will spread about six feet wide, which is lovely. And then they have red berries that come in the fall and then little Here, white flowers in the spring. Years ago, um, there was a nursery. I don't know if you can get them anymore, but they took the the, the ground cover cotoneaster and they, um, they actually made it into a standard, a, a little mini weeping tree. And it was a weeping cotoneaster. I haven't seen them for years. Oh, but God, that's so beautiful. I've seen it before as well. Oh, God, I love those. You know what else they do? Um, okay, so if you have a... There's two things. I mean, this is a great shrub, but it's also if you really want people not to come in your property, there's pyracantha. Yes. And pyracantha has big barbs. Espaliate, they are magnificent. Espaliate means trained flat into the side. And, and it's so a French, French word. Yeah, espaliate. But um, so when you see plants that are trained that have like multiple branches just going straight out from their side and nothing coming forward, they've been trained that way. They train fruit trees that way and they train different types of um, shrubs. But pyracantha lends itself to that very well. 
or else you could let it, you know, like I said, go wild and make sure nobody comes onto your property because it's very, very painful if you run into one. Yes, but what you were saying is true. I mean, they have flowers, but you really don't notice the flowers. But the berries, it's either a bright red or it's a bright orange. And they're vivid. And we're not talking a few berries. We're talking hundreds of berries. Hundreds of berries. And if you have that planted, and let's say you have, oh, a sunset gold coleonema or um, or some plant um, that is chartreuse yellow, next to an orange berry with their dark green leaves. Oh, that would be stunning. And a Barbary or a Loripetalum. Right. You know, these, these right. are combinations that, um, you know, it's it's like a paint by numbers. If, if There's many, many different books out that have to do with um, color palettes for the landscape, and it's really worth looking into. One of the things, and, and for people that are listening out there, that's kind of fun to bring the whole family in, is um, your kids. If you want to get your kids away from a TV or away from the internet or anything, go to a paint store and get some paint chips, you know, but really bright colors like orange or yellow or green or lime green and play a game with your kids. Give them, you know, each uh, group of paint chips and then tell them, you know, supervise to go out in the landscape and find leaves or flowers or, um, you know, trees and take a piece of them that match the color on the paint chip and then bring them back and they can make collages out of them. And it's really fun. It's like a scavenger hunt for the kids. And at the same time, they're out in the, in the natural environment and they're matching colors from paint chips to colors on the leaves, colors on the flowers, colors on the blooms, you know, all of that. And it's a lot of fun to do as a family. It's a wonderful idea. You know, parents right now are just about going nuts trying to find, trying to keep their kids occupied. And also now that so many kids are learning via Zoom or on the computer, it's so important to get out into the natural world to balance, you know, that technology out and real colors because the colors that they're seeing on television and on the computer screen are not natural colors. So it's very important. So that's a wonderful exercise. Yeah. And I, I have to say, you know, when we were talking about fall, one of the things that, you know, we, we both, uh, Roberta and I live in California and we do have beautiful fall color. But for those of you, if any of you are listening from back east, I will tell you there is nothing more spectacular than some of the, the, the uh, eastern seaboard, sea, seaboard, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Back east. Um, fall color. Like uh, the first time I went to upstate New York, Connecticut, Vermont. I have to be honest with you. I've never been so blown away. It looked like someone took paint cans, threw them on the hillsides. I mean, that's the vividness of the fall color. So, I mean, yes, we have wonderful fall color, but not like they do as they do in back east. And and those of you, some of you may be listening and thinking to yourself, you have no idea what fall color is unless you come out to Vermont or Connecticut or New York. And you're absolutely right, because um, hillsides of, of maples, hillsides of some of the most spectacular fall color trees. Um, and we can emulate that. We, we might not be able to do it as well, but we certainly can emulate that. Well, not as big. Yeah. You know, I'm, um, I'm originally from Los Angeles. I think you are too, right? Yeah. Yes. And, um, we really didn't have a change of season there. Nope. So it wasn't, it wasn't until I moved um, up north to Sacramento area that, in fact, I moved in the winter. Actually, I shouldn't say I moved. Let me just say I was shipped here. Okay. I was yeah. younger and I was shipped here and um, I was shipped here to study. 
And here I am in the bleak, foggy uh, Sacramento, the leaves, the trees, everything looked dead. But here I was, and I had to go to school. And then in the spring, it was like a miracle because I, I, I hadn't seen that. I hadn't seen trees that flowered and that opened up their leaves and cha- you know, the fall change of colors came later. But um, it was all new to me because I lived in a place where m- most everything was evergreen because the, um, you know, the, it was such a temperate climate. Right. It's usually, and she's absolutely right. I, I lived in, in Southern California also. And so your temperatures are usually in the seventies and cold was kind of 68 or 65, but you didn't get the 30 degrees or 40 degrees. And so you didn't get these very, very um, cold climates where you would get this incredible fall color. And you're right, coming up north, Northern California, all of a sudden you're seeing, not only in spring, but you're seeing in fall, these vivid trees. And it's like, wow. And that's why I said, when I never really experienced the most incredible fall color until I went back east. And that was, that blew my mind. It it literally was an experience that everyone should do once in a lifetime. And um, so this is the magic of nature. And I'm hoping that now that our, so many of our lives have changed and we're not on the freeway constantly going to work or, you know, um, or in an office building sealed up more that we're at home and we can look out the window and look at nature that you, um, that you start to really appreciate what's going on. And if there's not much going on, consider making something go on by designing some new color and new changes for your landscape, things that will change with the seasons. I agree. I agree. You know, it, it, it feeds, it not only is a visual treat, but it spiritually, and I, it may sound funny to you, but it does feed the soul and it makes you feel good. And, and um, it also is a way to relax, you know, seeing a lot of beauty, seeing a lot of color and everything. There is nothing you can try to emulate it yourself, you know, with a paintbrush or anything. But what Mother Nature does on her own um, is just pretty amazing. Pretty spectacular. Yes. Well, we're going to have to think of something next week to talk about because we've gone so into fall. I think you, you could tell but both of us are yearning for that. But we'll, we'll be back next week with something even just as interesting. Yes, so, absolutely. We'll, we'll rack our brains. We'll rack our brains and we'll come up with something because our intent is to bring to you, like we said, our knowledge and our plant knowledge and our planting knowledge and, and anything we could do to help bring nature to you. So, I'm Roberta Walker. And I'm Michael Glassman. And And we we are Digging Deep. Deep. Oh, we did it. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye.